0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never really thought about tools until
0: I bought a house in the suburbs. It's like this weird homeowner test if I need a tool for a project and don't have it. And my neighbor, Ted, loves to give me that look when I ask to borrow a pole saw. A year ago, I didn't even know pole saws existed. And now i got to borrow one from Ted? What is happening
1: Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers.
0: Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Deep Dive, the all-music books podcast where we speak with authors of music books, bios, history, criticism, cultural takes, and everything in between. I'm your host, Steve Jay. In the first part of our chat with S.E. Feinberg about the book Southern Man, which he co-authored with Alan Walden, we focused on the legendary work Walden did with R&B artists such as Otis Redding, Sam & Dave, Percy Sledge, and many others. In Act 2, we hear how Allen rebounded, working with the Allman Brothers Band and discovering Leonard Skinner and the Outlaws to help lay the foundation for what would become known as Southern Rock. You know, things would get crazy. Racial tensions ramped up down south, of course, and Alan's friendships would be tested. You know, Sam and Dave comes to mind. But a lot of these issues would cause him to step away from the music business until, yeah. as your book titles it, act two a most Correct. splendid renaissance yes. tell us about that
1: well when when alan ran into a lot of troubles the, the politics got involved with the music african-american music scene he found himself at a uh, a freedom concert where his life was threatened sam and dave abandoned him aside from holding him out, out of a hotel room window for the for the hell of it but <clears throat> The, the music business turned. The music business turned into something that he didn't want to really be involved in, so that was where the next sort of act comes in. And the first sort of section of that act would be the the whole Dwayne Allman and getting in, and Phil getting involved with Dwayne Allman and trying to build up that group. And then Alan kind of being involved in the first three albums and, you know, participating and doing all of that and was very good friends with Dwayne Allman. Sibling Rivalry started. So he decided that he wanted to find his own group. He wanted to find his own group. Uh, I mean, he was broke at this time. And he went around to audition 187 bands. He found his band number 13, which was Leonard Skinner, and he found another band called Orgon Zabel, and he says those are the two groups. One of these groups will be the group that I that I go with. He took Orgon Zabel and and uh, uh, Leonard Skinner to over to Muscle Shoals. Orgon had a couple of well known musicians, so that they got a nice hotel. Skinnerd got a, a truck stop with a basketball hoop and peanut butter sandwiches. They worked the night shift. Orgon Zabel worked the day shift. After about ten days, the engineers said, "What do you got?" They said, "Orgon Zabel, we got a good about two or three good songs. What do you got from Leonard Skinnerd? We've got thirteen dynamo songs." <laughs> Classic. That's the that's the group. This is my group.
0: So Alan worked with Phil with the Almond Brothers, as you mentioned. First couple of records and gives Phil a lot of credit for that. But there's, there's a really great story. And as an art director for album covers, I know this photo so well. Oh, and yeah. I'm sure Almond Brothers will, will know this. But, you know, these stories that you're telling, this one fit perfectly into it. And it's an iconic photo of the Almond Brothers sitting in a creek.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure I may be wrong, but I believe the photographer was Stephen Paley. The whole idea was to have these guys sort of naked, but to have uh, rushes of soap, soapy suds. And, you know, it was going to be the Almond Brothers in a pool full of soap. But the soap just sort of dissipated and the water flattened out. So they just looked like eventually what they looked like, which was just, I describe them as just raccoons, mm-hmm. you know, sitting in the, in the water
0: skinny naked records.
1: skinny naked records. <laughs> but I think I think it was uh Dickie Betts who was standing up because he had a scar on his leg or I mean I said stitches on his leg or something like that but that's what I recall about that story
0: but Dicky, uh, didn't Dickie do something to the photographer
1: well he stole his clothes I believe <laughs> right.
0: at gunpoint wasn't it or something like this
1: <laughs> thank you for reminding uh, me yes I believe he stole his pants or his clothes <laughs>
0: Yeah, and they demanded yeah, well, that he shoot some of the shoot naked. If if memory yes, I believe him.
1: yes, yes, I believe that's what happened.
0: Yeah, that's that's just so funny. I, I glad I wasn't ever on a shoot like that, but it's a great story. No, uh,
1: yeah, something happened like that with Leonard Skinner too, and and uh, they were pretty wild. These guys, they were they were rednecks. They were really talented, but real rednecks. Uh, not as much as as uh, Leonard Skinner.
0: Yeah, and, and you mentioned that. You know, Alan was kind of at a crossroads in his career, and he said a prayer at these imaginary crossroads. And, you know, you mentioned the auditioning bands, and you wrote that he heard 187 bands in one year. 187
1: is, bands, yes. He traveled insane. all around the country, and I think a couple of forays into Canada.
0: One of those trips was to Jacksonville, Florida.
1: Jacksonville, Florida, yes. And uh, he saw
0: 13 bands, and number 13, yes. you mentioned, was?
1: That was skinner and he said, I'm going to just keep you in um, check here. I've got some more bands to listen to before I make a decision. Leonard Skinnerd was everything that Alan was not. Alan became part of that band scene. He said, when I walked into a room with Leonard Skinnerd, I feared no man. I feared no man when I walked into a room with Otis Redding, and I feared no man when I walked into a room with Leonard Skinner. They were fighters. They were a street gang fighting, redneck, absolute, drinking, hard fighting band who rehearsed all the time. They rehearsed their improvisational sets. Nothing was unrehearsed with the Leonard Skinner set. And all at that point in time, all Allen ever dreamed about was getting his band, Leonard Skinner, to a point where he could, and, and this was to quote Allen, burn Almond Brothers' asses.
0: Hmm.
1: And that happened at Atlanta Stadium. When they weren't fighting somebody in the crowd, when they weren't fighting somebody in the alley, they would hit each other. <laughs> Except for uh, Ed King, who was sort of a hippie from Strawberry Alarm Clock, and he didn't want anything to do with that stuff. Right. But these guys were tough-ass guys, as tough as nails,
0: and, and and very hard workers too. You know, as you mentioned, they
1: extremely cut. hard workers. They were rehearsing all the time. You know, when they were out in when it, when they were out in Muscle Shoals. And Orgon Zabel was in the nice hotel, and these guys were in a truck stop with a basketball hoop and Peter. They never complained. They never said, I want this. I want this. How come I don't get this? They would work all night long. They would drink all night long. And they might come home with $2 in their pockets. And they were as happy as you could ever imagine. These guys were highly professional, extremely motivated, happy, tough. I mean, when Alan was married, Ronnie Van Zant was his best man. And the only guests were Leonard Skinner. They were a team.
0: Yeah, and a very much maligned band, in, in my opinion. I think their songs are really, really, really good and stand the test of time. And, you know, there yes. is, you know, some of that Confederate stuff and all that. But, you know, it's clear in your book that, you know, Alan and Ronnie were very close.
1: They were very close. And in my opinion if Ronnie Van Zant had lived they would still be very close hmm. they fell apart when uh they changed management but i believe that if ronnie had lived they would still be because there were little incidences in the book where they met in a hotel room and you know and they they were trying to figure things out and i believe they would have remained eventually friends yeah
0: well in, in your book Alan even helps them when they want to change management. He was there for them and said, "If that's what you want to do." I-
1: yes, in fact, he suggested he suggested who, who who they go with. And and I I was not I I I, I was not a Southern rock and roll fan in the early seventies. I was fully immersed in the theater, and I was that was my life. I I wasn't I wasn't aware of that scene too much. Certainly, I was aware of the R and B scene, but I wasn't aware of that. Sweet Home Alabama, I heard, I have listened to it now hundreds and hundreds of times trying to find that magic. But Alan tells the story of Ronnie wanted him to come down to Jacksonville, Florida for something special, where he had a shack and he was recording. So Alan and his wife and his oldest daughter went down. And when they got there, Ronnie had prepared a boat, a lunch, a chair for the wife, some fishing rods. And he said, I want you to go upstream about two miles. And then I want you to drop a couple of hooks in the water and see what you can't catch. (laughs) So he said, because Ronnie was a fisherman, these rednecks fished, Dwayne Allman fished. The boat went up about two and a half miles. And there he said there were millions of tadpoles in the water, millions and millions of tadpoles in the water and alligators all over the place. They were alligators and he says when you get up there turn the engine off and you just sort of glide down and he did that he went up river and he and he turned off the engine and he sort of glided down and all of a sudden in the woods he heard from <laughs> He started to hear the opening for Sweet Home, Alabama. by the time he started to get about a half mile back down towards that shack, the music was coming all through the woods, and he says it was the most spiritual magical moment he had ever seen. He ran up to the he ran up to the shack and he says, "What in hell is that?" And that was Sweet Home, Alabama.
0: That's a great story, and uh, there's another one that is equally great. When Alan wanted a drinking contest with the band to quote, to teach them a thing or two, how did that turn out?
1: (laughs) Alan considered himself a connoisseur of fine liquor and uh, he could drink a lot of people under the table. But these kids, uh, we said, we're going to try to drink you under the table. He says, I drink you under the table, Ronnie. And they started drinking. And they started drinking. These kids had been drinking since they were 13. And then Alan collapsed. Alan collapsed in the bar, and they ordered five more bottles of Sheevas. Uh, and uh, yes, that was the drinking story, and that was their life. Unfortunately, later on, it became cocaine and other bad things. But these were the in more innocent days, I guess you could call them. Nobody could outdrink Leonard Skinner. Nobody.
0: Yeah, and they were absolutely huge when, you know, sadly, another tragic story to a story we all know well with an airplane. And Alan was not a fan of that particular airplane and had told them not to use it, right?
1: I told him not to get in that rickety-ass plane. I mean, I told him. It was falling apart. Flames were coming out of the engines. But Phil plays an important part into that story. And that was... When that plane went down, Phil actually went over to Alan and said, how do you like your boys now? That was the most hurtful thing that Alan could have heard from his brother. He wanted some sympathy because when Otis died, Phil came into the office the next day after the funeral and said, all right, we're all sad. Let's get back to work. I mean, he it was a coldness to Phil. Alan wanted some sympathy and and uh, how do you like your boys now? I mean, that was, that's kind of a cruel cool thing to say. They, were, they lived in the swamp, they played in the swamp, and they died in the swamp. And that's, that was their legacy, unfortunately.
0: You're listening to All Music Podcasts, a member of Pantheon Media. We're speaking with S.E. Feinberg, the co-author of Southern Man, Music and Mayhem in the American South. I wanted to ask you, towards the end of the book... Uh, Alan says that all he wanted was for his bands to trust him. Right. How do you think that all played out?
1: You know what? I think he succeeded. He was all about wanting his bands to trust him based on accounting and based on I want my bands to know that what I promise them, I will deliver. And I don't have any indication at least in my research, that anything but that ever happened. A lot of these people are still friends, even Sam and Dave. I think he succeeded. He wanted his bands to trust them. He wanted to give the African-American act respect, something that he believed they were not necessarily getting in Detroit and New York and even Los Angeles. And, you know, the whole thing of Buying a car for them and convincing a kid that he's rich because he has a car, or can you know that kind of whole, that whole scene. Alan was a an extremely competent accountant, and he made his accounting forms understandable so that anybody who was one of his clients could immediately know how much they made, how much they were taking in, how much they were losing, where they were weak, where they were strong. That was important to Alan. And a lot of people weren't doing that.
0: Yeah, ultimately uh, important to the acts too, I would guess. But what in the end, I mean, you've got some of the all-time great R&B and soul acts. You've got, you know, a couple of, you know, just the top level Southern rock acts. And those are wildly different worlds. What is his legacy?
1: Alan's legacy is, is he did the very best that he could for the area of the world that he loved. He was a man of the South. I love the South, I will never leave the South, I will never move out of the South. Otis tried to move out of the South, I convinced him not to. You're from here, this is where you're from. His legacy as a Southern man who did his very best for the music that he loved, and I think he succeeded. And if anybody can succeed in life with that sort of thing, trying something when they're young and keeping at it, I think that says quite a lot for the character of the man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think character is the key word there because nobody can dispute, you know, the Otis Reddings and the Salmon Daves and the Percy Sledges or the Almond Brothers and Leonard Skinner on the other side. Um, but you know, like you say, it was a, a character issue and a southern issue as well. So yes. I love the book. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you very much, Steve.
0: Let me ask you one, one last question. Are you still in touch?
1: Yes. As a matter of fact, I was speaking to him the other day. He's doing well and uh, his wife and his son, and uh, he still lives in that house on the pond and he still goes out, he still goes down to the chairs and feeds the catfish with cat food. But we had some great conversations down there feeding, uh, feeding the catfish with the cat food. <laughs> We had some of our wonderful conversations. Some of them are recalled in the book, but it doesn't say that we're doing that.
0: Well, it's a great read. You know, I read a lot of books, and uh, this one was so much fun. It was just
2: I appreciate a great it.
0: read, and, and thanks for spending time with us.
1: Oh, I appreciate it very much.
0: He is S.E. Feinberg, Stephen Feinberg, and the book is Southern Man, Music and Mayhem in the American South. And it's about Alan Walden, and thanks again so much for your time.
1: Thank you, Steve.
0: If you would like to buy this book, please go to allmusicbooks.com and you can buy it through our site. You can also check out the rest of our Deep Dive podcasts there as well and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I'd also like to thank our engineer, Steve Folsom. You can check him out at fullsound.com. Finally, big ups to Frankie and the Pool Boys for their one-of-a-kind music played throughout the podcasts. You can check them out at frankieandthepoolboys.bandcamp.com and on all of the major streaming services. Please support local and independent writers and musicians. We're out until the next time, and thanks again for tuning in to Deep Dive, an allmusicbooks.com podcast and now a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.
1: progressive presents adjusting to the suburbs you used to associate crickets with silence but since you bought a house in the suburbs you know crickets hate silence if any other creature realized rubbing its legs together made a piercing high-pitched noise they might think maybe I won't do that constantly all night long Luckily, you can save with progressive by bundling your home and auto. Now that's something to make noise about. Just not constantly. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.